I'm Lauren and I'm joined by my friend Charlotte and this is Demythifying the podcast where two best friends talk mythology go off on tangents and hope to bring a little bit more forgotten magic to the world so happy new year babe Happy How New Year. How was your Christmas? Well, I got COVID, so pretty quiet for me. How about yours? It was nice. I went around to my parents. It was the three of us, and I cooked Christmas dinner, and my dad was my sous chef because I wouldn't trust him to do stuff by himself, but he's learning, bless him. So it was quiet, but it was nice. Yeah, it was a quiet. It was nice. It, it was a quiet one, unfortunately. We had to pivot our plans really quickly, but uh, yeah, it was okay. It was okay. And before we get stuck into today's episode, have you made any New Year's resolutions? Other than all of the usual, you know, try and run a marathon and actually do it this year, um, win the lottery, that kind of stuff. (laughs) There are worse New Year's resolutions than winning the lottery. Well, technically I've already won, but it was like five pounds. (laughs) Oh, there you go. (laughs) What about you? I once, so I just bought an online creative writing course. Um, so I would like to work my way through that. There's no time limit. So I used to be really into writing poetry before. And I think hopefully this will help me be more disciplined and focused. Yeah, focused and be able to sort of explore my thoughts because I've got fantasies of using my my love for mythology and kind of my old love for creative writing into kind of creating something quite cool so I would like to get that done yeah I say do it so and I'm more scuba diving doing as many more scuba diving courses as I can so in terms of sort of good things from last year apart from the podcast I would say get going on a couple of diving trips and actually diving in the UK open sea yeah with the current so apart from the fact that the stuff I saw was cool just being able to do it because it's quite I've never dived in actual proper currenty water before mm-hmm. and this was well you can you know it's like at the beach when you see the waves and it's quite the current can be quite bad and I did that and it was cool so I'm yeah this year is has not been all crap because of COVID so I'm going to take that small achievement away from this yay that's good that's really cool so what about you what is your Apart from the podcast, obviously, what is, <laughs> would you say, your biggest positive achievement as a takeaway from 2021 so that there are good things we can leave this year on? I think I've got two because obviously this year was the first year I actually ran a half marathon and I did two and I was quite slow, but that doesn't matter. I still ended it. I, I liked that I had a goal in mind and I did the training and it was worth all the early mornings. And my boyfriend came with me well for both of them but for the second one he at the end I saw him waiting at the end and when I came through and and we met up and we were in the pub after he said that it was quite obvious that I'd done training and other people coming around the bends hadn't because you just see people look like they wanted to collapse so I am pleased that I stuck with it and I did the training and I did that obviously I then ended up not being able to do the virtual marathon because I got so busy and a bit sick and I couldn't do it couldn't dedicate the time to it but I'm pleased I did the half marathons and then my clarinet I loved it I got grade seven and I'm really pleased you should be so proud of that 
and I'm proud of you I'm proud of it because I did the exam I was it was way too early I was not ready but I wanted to do it and I was like I had this goal in mind by doing it by April and I wasn't ready and then I tried it again in September and I I got sick like I said I got a bit I got a bit sick which is why I couldn't do the marathon and then it kind of pushed it all out so I did it I got a refund for that and then did it in December and I finally passed it and you can see in the video in the video it's so obvious that I finish and my face looks so relieved that I finished like oh, oh good oh thank you oh goodness it's, no, it's, um, it's <laughs> amazing like, it's amazing that you did them so yay for us yay for us and obviously the podcast as well like you know we had this idea sitting in Southwark Cathedral and we said well why don't we just do this and we have, we have now, and we've created something and we keep creating it. It's about six months now. Yeah. And we've worked with people that we didn't even know existed before. And we have more plans coming up for for this year for people, again, who I've met online through through doing this and kind of because I'm the one who sort of takes more care of the socials that kind of reached out to people and been like look do you want to come and nerd out over greek stuff with us and people people want to people want to come and talk about it so i'm really excited for people for for that to happen and for people to hear more of what we we create both with each other and with with other new people so it's very exciting it seems like so long ago when we stood at the globe waiting for romeo and juliet to start and i bought cupcakes to celebrate the fact we got 50 listens and now, and now we're not far off 500 so. we're not far off 500 and again to some people that might seem really small but that's a really big achievement for us considering we have full-time jobs we have full-time jobs we don't dedicate a certain amount of time each week to this like we're not rigid with it it's very in flux depending on our lives and with our social media as well you know I know people who are creating brands and they they say right I'm going to spend two hours a night dedicating that to our social media brand we we don't do that we haven't got the time to do that at the moment and yet we've still got four more people following us from last week alone I just I find that bonkers yeah so two girls who just do this out of where they live with knowing nobody and just seeing how things go I think we're we're doing quite well so and we've got really good things planned for 2022 so yes is going to be an amazing year so thank you to everyone who has been listening to us so far. And thank you for everyone who's helped us as well. Like your dad, my cousin, Natalie and Rory, great yeah. gods and myth takes, Ellen. And yeah, who you will be meeting soon. And yeah, again, to all the people who will be upcoming later this year. Going back to what I said about New Year's resolutions, if the gods were going to make New Year's resolutions, we know one person who definitely wouldn't be doing dry January. And that is good old Dionysus. I would love to use him as an excuse for calling in sick with a hangover. Like, Soz, I can't come to work. I've been cursed by Dionysus when you're just really hanging. But my <laughs> boss would have no my boss would have no idea what that meant. And then he would Google it and either be really confused or kind of annoyed. Well, you say cursed by Dionysus. I say blessed by Dionysus. <laughs> Depends on how bad you're hanging. <laughs> and how well the night went. <laughs> yeah. 
I talked about Semele when we covered the lady loves of Zeus way back in episode four. That we know that so long ago. it feels so long ago now. We know Zeus fell in love with her, obviously, as he was prone to doing. She asked him to reveal himself to her in his true form as she'd faced doubt from both her sisters and Hera in disguise about his identity. Reluctantly, Zeus did reveal himself to her in his true form and it was too much for her and she died. Zeus cut their unborn baby out of her and placed it in his own thigh for safekeeping for the rest of the gestation period. I knew this part of the story and then suddenly he's a grown-up god going about his grown-up god business. So do you know what happens between thigh and grown-up god business? Well, this isn't going to surprise you, but there are six different accounts that I found about what happens to him after he emerges from Zeus's thigh. But also it harks back to similarities between him and Jesus that we also mentioned in Wonderful Christmas Time. Now, you, you know him as a baby and then you know him as an adult and there isn't really much in between. The multiple stories doesn't really surprise me. Actually, I do know that he was entrusted to nymphs or nurses to bring him up. And I think generally this is where the difference in versions are. I'm sure I know there's a version where the nurses who look after him are his aunts, Eno, Agave and Otanoe. Probably not pronounced like that. And this surprises me because of the play The Bacchae, which we will cover properly when we go down Cadmus's family tree quite soon, actually. And it's a play by Euripides, and the basics of it are the sisters of Semele still refuse to accept that Dionysus was the son of Zeus, and they believe that their father Cadmus was trying to use Zeus as a cover-up for the truth. And it turns into a revenge tale where Dionysus takes revenge for offences caused to him and his mom by their family. The Euboeans had a version where he was raised on their island. The Naxians said he was raised on, raised on their island by the Hyades and they later became a constellation. Yes. So in this alternative story, Atlas has one son and 12 daughters. His son Hyas died and his first five daughters became known as the Hyades or Hyades. The theory is that they became set in the stars because they were nurses of Dionysus. And you can find them nestled between the horns of the Taurus constellation. The next story reminds me a bit of the story of Perseus. It's a Spartan story, and they say that Dionysus and the dead body of Semele washed up on their shores in a chest, and he was raised there. The most popular locale was Mount Nyssa, although its location has moved further east, so Egypt, Phoenicia, India, or Arabia. I really like this story that I found of Zeus trying to trick Hera again. And in this story, one of Dionysus's aunts was also involved. So Zeus dressed up baby Dionysus as a girl and Eno and her husband Athamas looked after him. Hera found out as she almost always did and she caused them to go mad. Zeus managed to save baby Dionysus by turning him into a goat. He remained in his goat form until he was older and turned back. Hera found him, cursed him with madness and he wandered the world until he met an earth goddess who cured him of said madness. He was a young god when he discovered all about making wine. And again, stories differ depending on the source. But they all seem to agree that he was a young god when it happened. Hyginus paints a picture of him as someone who wanted to go out amongst the world of men and spread the sweetness of the wine he created. Hyginus as a Roman is one of the people who refer to him by one of his alternate names, Liber. He was often called Pater Liber by the Romans. 
We very briefly mentioned Jason the Argonauts in the episode with Neil and Dustin. And that is a story that we are going to tell in the future because it's a really good adventure story. And it includes one, if not the most badass woman in Greek myths, Medea. She was a witch and her magic played a vital part in helping Jason. And she also casts some magic that helps his father, Aeson, become younger again and regain his vitality. And yes, Aeson really did have a son called Jason. Now, Ovid tells us that Dionysus saw Medea do this and then he learned or then found someone else, I'm assuming because he doesn't say it was Medea, who could do the same for his ageing nurses, which is really lovely. I also found a story about him where he spent some time with Thetis, who is the mother of Achilles, as or in refuge. As with the other gods, Dionysus was god of many things. Most famously and well-remembered, of course, is the wine. However, Dionysus was also the god of madness. As Lauren mentioned earlier, this is due to another god, or rather, goddess. Hera, that old rational goddess, cursed him as an adult. She tried her best to have him done away with and had been unsuccessful, which is enough to make anyone mad. It's so infuriating when the people I have killed end up living. I bet it is. This leads me to a story I would like to tell you now, which is that of King Lycurgus. Lycurgus was the king of Edonia in Thrace. Dionysus had been travelling, as Source's state was due to Hera's curse, and on his travels had been teaching men how to cultivate wine. Lycurgus took some offence to this. He opposed this new religion and imprisoned Dionysus's new followers while driving Dionysus and his men out of the city. Not content with this, Lycurgus also, depending on which source you read, either imprisoned or attacked Dionysus' nurse, Ambrosia. The company took refuge from Thetis, a sea nymph. Lauren, you were correct. All was not done, as you can imagine. You don't drive a god out and attack their people and expect to get away with it. As revenge, the punishment for Lycurgus was that he was driven insane. In his madness, he mistook his son for ivy, and pruned away at his face, his ears, his fingers, and his toes. Oh my god. Yeah. Some sources state that he also killed his wife in a similar manner. Thrace dried up in the horror of what had unfolded, and Dionysus decreed that the land remained barren for as long as Lycurgus went unpunished. They didn't have to wait too long, as Lycurgus took an axe to his own feet, and depending on which version of the story you prefer, he either killed himself, or he was bound to horses and pulled apart. Ouch. Uh, what? I mean, what? Wow. Mm. Don't piss off a god. It's the angry drunk thing as well, isn't it? Like you get different kinds of drunks. You get happy drunks, you get slutty drunks, then you get angry drunks. And clearly Dionysus flips you cry, between those. You missed out crying drunk. Crying drunk. Oh, drunk. yeah. <laughs> I've been all types of drunk. I have never tied someone to a horse. I'm not an angry drunk. I'm like every other kind. No, I think Dionysus probably flips between all of those typical stereotypes of drunkness. Um, Wow. And this isn't the only time that he resorted to violences, is it? No. Other stories include that of Pentheus, as set out in Euripides' play, The Bacchae. Pentheus ascended the throne of Thebes when his grandfather Cadmus abdicated. Now, that's not the only well-known name Pantheus is related to. His aunt was Semele, 
who was the mother of the one and only god we are discussing today. Soon after becoming king, Pentheus banned the worship of Dionysus, stopping the women of the city from joining in his rites. Obviously, no prizes for guessing how Dionysus took this slur. He cursed the women in Pentheus's family and the other women of Thebes with frenzy. They rushed him out to Theron, and thinking he was a follower, Pantheus imprisoned Dionysus, but the prisoner's chains simply fell away and the prison gates opened for him. Dionysus then led Pentheus out to spy on the women with Pantheus disguised as a woman. Because, of course, the women were getting up to mischief and needed someone to check. Pentheus expected to see sexual activities and he was sorely disappointed when he didn't. Precisely that. The women saw something watching them. And presuming it was a wild animal, they dragged him down and tore him limb from limb. I've heard that this was part of a ritual called Sparagmos, which was used in Dionysusian rituals specifically. It wasn't long before Pentheus's true identity was revealed and the women were exiled from Thebes. Rumours were that his mother was the first to attack him, tearing off his arms and his head, putting his head on a stick and carrying it back to Thebes. It is only here, showing her father Cadmus, that she realised the identity of who she was carrying. Pentheus's wife gave birth. Sources can't decide if this was pre or post attack to Menopius, who was the father of Creon and Jocasta of Thebes. Jocasta would become mother to Oedipus. And clearly this shows that madness and tragedy ended up running in the family. Yeah, it's something that we've hinted at already from certain events. And when we do start to discuss Cadmus and Harmonia soon, we will talk about the kind of initial things that set off the madness and tragedy that runs down it. Um, I'm I'm super excited to to go into that family. Super, super excited. Another time that Dionysus wandered the land, he was wandering by the seashore disguised as a very handsome young man. I'm picturing a Shawn Mendes kind of pretty with tousled hair and an inability to keep his top on. That kind of sounds like your sounds like your perfect type. Sounds like my perfect type. Anyway, whilst wandering the seashore, he was kidnapped by pirates who presumed he was a prince and wanted to hold him for a hefty ransom. The pirates dragged him to their ship. However, when they tried to tie him up, the ropes wouldn't take, just as the chains wouldn't take in the last story. No rope would stay on him. The pirates were obviously confused, but Dionysus said nothing. The ship's pilot realised what was up and told the men, You fools, do you not realise that this is a god we have brought on to our ship? He might be the god Zeus or perhaps Poseidon, but in any case, I am sure that he is a god. We should bow down and worship him begging his forgiveness so that he will not bring about our destruction. As you can imagine, with many myths, we've seen warnings and never heeded. And the captain and the rest of the pirates scoffed. The captain ordered his men to try and restrain the prisoner again. Only this time Dionysus turned into a lion and let out a great roar. He summoned a bear with which he attacked the captain. Scared, the rest of the men jumped overboard into the sea, turning into dolphins as they did so. The only man left standing was the pilot, who Dionysus blessed and said, Behold, I am Dionysus, have no fear. So the man worshipped the god and remained his devoted follower ever after. 
And you would think people would heed warnings more, seeing as every myth with a warning <laughs> within it ends badly. Every myth without exception. <laughs> As we know, Dionysus' mother, Semele, was mortal. Mortals can't see gods in their true form, so was killed when Zeus revealed himself to her on her request. It's all a nasty trick from Hera, who knew what she was doing. Once Dionysus reached maturity, he descended into Hades, collected Semele and took her to Olympus to make her immortal. While she was mortal, the gods accepted her as she had given birth to a god. I wonder what Hera thought of this. I can actually imagine at this point she probably didn't care. There was some other sprog of Zeus's that had popped up somewhere and they probably had more of her full attention. I do feel like she has enemies of the moment. Like with Heracles. She throws everything at him and then that's it. She just moves on. Well, it'd take a lot of energy, wouldn't it? To hate everybody. I feel like she's someone who could who could have that amount of energy she is she is petty af and i do wonder if semily had a say in in going back from the underworld i'm not sure i didn't actually find too much about her after she was made immortal i know in other stories the rescue from the underworld is more for the living and the dead would have actually preferred to stay there hmm i find that strange but okay well no kind of leave them um, I think I can't remember which story it was where they were just like, you, you, basically they were fine in the underworld, and it's it's more for the living. It's more for the living to go. Well, I can't live without you, but actually leave the dead where they are. Might be extra traumatic as well coming back. Well, I can't imagine it would be pleasant. No, we should look out for that in um in any other potential stories. I know there are. There is another story where someone is brought back from the underworld. Um, it's something that Heracles does for a friend of his. He brings someone back. And we can talk about that as, when we get to him um, way, way in the future. But we should look out for it in other stories. Well, there's another story where someone's brought back and then they're mute for a few days. They're a mute because they, 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 can't, they can't speak. I don't know that story. It was in... I'm pretty sure it was in Natalie Haynes's book. It was in Pandora's Star. Ah, that, that, that I have not borrowed off you yet. Not yet. So yeah, let me know um, and I will read that. Mm-hmm. Okay, this isn't a complete list of the loves of Dionysus. As like with any god, trying to find a complete list is difficult. So I have handpicked some of the ones that I wanted to share. We haven't properly introduced you to Theseus yet, but he is in the pipeline. We mentioned him briefly already in that he went to Crete to stop sacrifices of Athenians being sent to King Minos and to King Minos's rather troublesome house guest. Let's say house guest. It seems politer than, <laughs> than what it really is. Um. I believe, and I'm sure most other people believe, that Theseus wouldn't have succeeded in dealing with this problem on his own. I'll explain my theory on that next episode when we talk about Ariadne. There are multiple versions of the story of Ariadne because they were originally shared orally. She was a daughter of King Minos, who 
lived on what we now know as Crete. But back then, the people were known as the Minoans. And we mentioned the Minoans when we spoke with Neil and Dustin. Pretty much the consensus in every story is that she fell in love with Theseus when she first saw him. And this is why she betrayed her dad and her country to help him. After she helped him, she left her home to go with him. In almost every story, he leaves her on an island called Naxos, presumably after he slept with her, because let's be honest, he was going to. Some versions paint this story as abandonment, while some stories, probably the more Athenian versions of the stories, claim that Dionysus appeared to Theseus after they left Crete and that he made claim to Ariadne. This version, therefore, would absolve Theseus of the abandonment of a woman who he needed in his quest to help Athens, because God forbid an Athenian hero would come across looking shitty. Ovid describes Theseus as cruelly abandoning her, and that when Dionysus comes, he says to her, my star, you must shine forever. And that is super romantic. Now, whether Theseus was persuaded to abandon Ariadne or whether he's just shitty, Dionysus was or did fall in love with her she became his wife and they had a number of children and we may get around to talking about them one day now unfortunately she was either killed by Perseus or Artemis or she hung herself depending on which source you favor but death wasn't enough to keep her and Dionysus apart and he went to Hades and brought her back when he brought his mum back and she became a goddess possibly from what I read some kind of weaving goddess and i have a nice picture to put on the instas of her and dionysus by alessandro turchi and this is a wrap painted in around 1630 dionysus also had a brief fling with aphrodite of course he did and they had a child called priapus I mentioned him in a story about Ares when he was put into a jar by the two giants. I said he was banished to earth because he was cursed in the womb by Hera. I've read that it was as punishment for Aphrodite's promiscuity, but I've also read that it was a punishment for Paris judging her to be more beautiful than Hera. Now we know Hera can be jealous and petty, so either is totally plausible. And Hera genuinely didn't like her, although she does at points ask for her help. Charlotte, have you ever heard of the medical condition Priapism? No. Well, this comes from the curse that was laid upon Priapus. As well as being ugly, he was also cursed with an oversized and permanent erection. Oh, goodness. Yes. He was a minor rustic fertility god, and he was also involved with protecting livestock, fruit, plants, garden, and male genitalia, because they are fragile enough to need protection. <laughs> uh, here is a fresco that I have put up of him although I seem to have now lost the credits for it mm -hmm. so I will put them up on the insta why is he lifting his robe up like that to show you his massive erection <laughs> there are things that I don't need to see I think it's probably how you know that it's him Maybe. <laughs> kind of neatly tucked under but his robes you said he was also involved in protecting fruit and plants and there's fruit in that bowl next day maybe we know it's him from that but it could be Dionysus with just the fruit Dionysus <laughs> did not have this this problem I do love the colors I like that his robe is yellow and green so for our listeners he's got like one shoulder 
one sleeve is green and the other shoulder's off. Yeah, he's kind of reclining. He looks quite casual and, you know, he's happy with his fruit and his massive penis out. So, yeah. yeah. There are some other potential parents of Priapus too. Dionysus fell in love with Althea when he was visiting Aeneas. Aeneas realised this and he left the city on the pretense of performing sacred rites. Dionysus then slept with Althea and they had a child together. And to thank Aeneas for his generous hospitality, and his hospitality I thankfully never been offered, he gave him the gift of some grapevines and taught him how to cultivate them. I don't, however, want to give you the idea that he didn't have rapey tendencies as well. Aura was a good friend of Artemis. She ran like the wind and she loved hunting. She was also very proud of her virginity and her body. During a hunting trip, she boasted to Artemis that her body was better than the goddesses. As you can imagine, Artemis wasn't especially (laughs) thrilled. She asked Nemesis to punish Aura. Nemesis being the goddess of divine retribution, punisher of evil deeds and hubris towards the gods. One and the same. She caused Dionysus to fall in love with Aura and he raped her. She bore him two sons, one who she killed and one who was saved by Artemis, maybe out of guilt. And after she died, Zeus turned her into a stream. Nikaea was a nymph that I can't even say he seduced her. It's effectively an early date rape drug. So she would have needed to ask for Angela. He (laughs) gave her a drug that made her fall asleep and then had his way. A quote from Nonus is, now again, Dionysus has stolen a marriage bed and ravished another maiden. And he goes on to say, not you alone had sweet sleep as a guide to love. Not you alone drank deceitful wine which stole your maiden girdle. It just seems like a lot of effort. Was he ugly? Like, all the other gods could get laid. Even Hephaestus, the ugly one. Did he have to resort to rape? But Zeus did. Poseidon did. We haven't discussed him yet, but we will. Yeah, but they did. awful, awful. I was going to say people. They're not real, but, you know. Yeah. Hermes did. We haven't got into that yet, but we are. We will. Mm. Hermes is terrible. I imagine Hermes is quite fun loving. You think, yeah, you know what? I'd go on a few dates with him, hang out a bit, you know, maybe some kind of friends with benefits vibes. But no, no, even nice, friendly, happy Hermes was raping people. So, you know, Dionysus is just another one, another one that did it. This next story is an alternative version of the star sign Virgo than the ones that we will be talking about. Our star sign episodes will be making an appearance spread over the next few months. We have the first one ready to go in about a week. Mm-hmm. Dionysus taught a man named Icarus about making wine. Happy with his new beverage, he shared it with some of the workers that he had. Clearly not used to being intoxicated, they felt they had been poisoned and they killed Icarus. His daughter Erigone found the body and hanged herself over her father's grave. Out of anger, Dionysus made all of the maidens of Athens kill themselves in the same way. Now, this is a point where I'm confused because in some sources she is listed or she's listed as a lover of Dionysus, but Virgo means virgin, I believe, or they're related. I'm a, I'm a bit unsure. There are a few 
potential versions of who Virgo could be. She's, as a constellation, she's one of the more sort of harder ones to pin down. Ovid does describe Dionysus as seducing Aragone with bunches of false grapes. Well, I was thinking just because they could be, you know, intimate doesn't mean that they would have sex, but this is a god, so obviously they would have. Obviously they would. <laughs> uh, with When it comes to women or indeed attractive looking boys, the gods are go hard or, or go hard. Dionysus was a character in the play Frogs by Aristophanes. I'm not sure if we've mentioned him. I don't think we have, um, but he was an old Athenian comic playwright. His work is known as old comedy, and I want to do a few episodes on his work because it is quite extraordinary. He was taken to court for slander, and one piece of his work was believed to have contributed to the events that led to the execution slash death of Socrates. It was kind of a forced suicide. So I want to come back to Aristophanes properly because I believe that he deserves multiple episodes. The Frogs was performed at the Linnea, which was one of the festivals of Dionysus, and it won first place. The basics of the story are that Dionysus is despairing at the state of Athenian tragedians, and he wishes to journey to the underworld to bring back Euripides. Now, this play was written a year after Euripides had died. And we actually have what is effectively a tragedy off between Aeschylus and Euripides. Sophocles died while the play was being written, hence the main reason he was only mentioned in a couple of references. I want to turn to page of Frogs and quickly reference something. Now, I may be pronouncing this really, really wrong, but it looks to me like from, from the play that the chorus are saying brekekekekex as frog noises. And this is part of Dionysus arguing with the frog chorus. We have Dionysus saying, I don't want to row anymore. And the frogs, coax, Dionysus, my bottom is getting too sore. I'm assuming from sitting on the boat and frogs, coax. Dionysus but what do you care you're nothing but air and your coax is really a bore and then the frogs brekekekekex coax coax I mean they do say more than than just that but the idea that brekekekex is the ancient Greek for frog speak is is quite entertaining so I really enjoyed Dionysus arguing with the frog chorus in this and Apparently, from things I have heard in another podcast, someone who is more of an expert on what costuming would have been like in ancient Greece said that the frogs or the men who are the frogs in the chorus would have actually been dressed as frogs to perform the piece. So we'll we'll talk we'll bring up the frogs again when we talk about Aristophanes, but Brachikekex is is brilliant. It's believed that there is political criticisms and opinions disguised in the play. Athens was at war with Sparta at the point the play was written and a very good peace offer had just been rejected by Athens. And it's been argued that they really should have taken the peace offer. Looking at the circumstances around when Aristophanes wrote plays and the hidden meanings in them is something that we'll come back to when we revisit him. 
Aesop mentions Dionysus in his fables too. The translation that I'm using in question for this is by Laura Gibbs, and it was published in 2002. Now, someone asked Aesop where lesbians and, well, the, the translation I read actually says effeminates, um, but gay men to be nicer about it. So where do they come from? Now, Aesop's explanation was that when Prometheus was shaping the genitals of the original men and women from clay, he was invited for a drink by Dionysus. Dionysus got him drunk, and in Prometheus's intoxicated state, he places the wrong genitals on the wrong people. And the direct quote from this translation is that modern lust revels in perverted pleasures. There is a lesson here, don't get us work drunk. And Dionysus certainly was no stranger to these bunny year quote thing um, of perverted pleasures. And he had multiple male lovers, including a satire called Amphilos. Sadly, he died by either hanging from a vine or picking grapes. And in this story, Dionysus, out of grief, placed him in the stars. That's Ovid's story. Uh, Nonus's version of the story is that he was gored to death by a wild bull for mocking the moon goddess Selene. In this death, Dionysus turned his body into the first grapevine and made wine from his blood. Lovely. Oh, it's about to get lovelier. I did notice that you didn't mention Prosimonus when you talked about Dionysus' journey to the underworld to rescue his mum. So thank you for making me talk about penises again. Yeah, he would do. It's not a prerequisite. I know. I feel like this story is. <laughs> do you know this story? No, I didn't come. I couldn't find very much that described his descent into the underworld specifically. Okay. Other no, than I, that he did it. I read this story somewhere. Now, I was so convinced it was in Mythos. And I combed through that book and I could not find it. So I don't know where I read this story from originally. Um, but I've... I revisited it in my research to refine it, but I don't know where I originally read it from. Prosimnus was a shepherd who lived by the lake Alconian. He assisted Dionysus on his journey to the underworld when he went to rescue his mum, as I said, and the reward for said assistance was the right to sleep with Dionysus. As you mentioned, the, the journey to the underworld was successful, but Dionysus returned to earth via a different route. But Dionysus did, in fact, return to Prosimnus to find that he had died. So Dionysus makes a phallus out of the wood of a fig tree and used it to fulfil the promise that he made to Prosimnus on his grave. Yeah, I definitely did not read this story at all. I've not heard this story before. I would have remembered this. Yeah, it's quite memorable. Now, a phallus made of figwood was found among other secret objects revealed in the course of the Dionysian mysteries. Now, you can't find this story in full in Greek myths, although there are hints towards it. Now, this story was fully formed using accounts of Christian authors. So this could be a form of ancient pagan propaganda rather than it being an actual belief that the ancient Greeks had. But then we're looking at a culture where its pantheon head impregnated someone as an ant. So maybe actually the story is not completely outside the realms of possibility you've mentioned the ant thing before i think you just need to get over the fact he was an ant because it's ridiculous and and a swan isn't well i was to be honest i was debating which one to bring up um again but i think because we're going to be bringing the swan up quite a lot when we get to the trojan war i thought let's just throw the ant in for now 
just to go back to the Dionysian mysteries quickly, they were ancient rituals of ancient Greece and Rome where people sometimes used intoxicating substances and trance like aids like dance and music to remove inhibition and social restraints and social constraints. We haven't actually talked about Silenus yet. He was a companion and tutor to Dionysus. He doesn't appear to be a satire, and he possibly had some kind of horse-like features. I read possibly is. He was a minor god of winemaking and drunkenness. He's also related to musical creativity, prophetic ecstasy, drunken joy, drunken dances and gestures. He was the oldest, the wisest, and the drunkest of Dionysus' followers, and was usually so drunk he had to be supported by satyrs or carried by a donkey. Now, there are two potential ways that this story starts. Either King Midas found a way to get him even more drunk than usual and sort of kidnapped him in secret. So it was a secret that he was kidnapped because he had, he had reasons, but he was very kind to him. Or... Silenus was lost and Midas went and found him and brought him back safely. But either way, Dionysus was thrilled at Midas's kindness towards his most favourite follower. Now, this story, I am going to tell the way that Ovid tells it. He refers to Dionysus as Silenus's foster child, which truly shows their relationship. Now, out of gratitude, Dionysus offers Midas any gift of his choosing. Clearly, Midas didn't really consider the consequences over the gift he chose. So he asked, grant me that whatever I touch with my body may turn to gold. Dionysus agreed and granted his request, although Ovid describes him as being kind of sad that Midas didn't actually choose more carefully. Midas, on the other hand, was thrilled. He touched leaves, earth, corn and apples. He put his hands in a stream and when he shook them, Ovid said the water he shook from his fingers might well have seduced fair Danae's virtue. And that's a little throwback to one of Zeus's many questionable exploits there. Now turning things to gold is appetite inducing work. So Midas, gloating and gleeful, asked his servants to bring him food. But the bread he ate turned to gold in his hands and the water and the wine he drank turned to molten gold in his throat. Famished and parched, he shouted to Dionysus, Oh, Father Bacchus, forgive me. I know I have sinned, but pity my plight and rescue me now from the curse that has seduced me. Now, out of kindness and pleased that Midas has admitted his mistake, Dionysus took it back. All Midas needed to do was bathe in a certain river near his home and the gift would be gone. Now, there's a version told much later in 1852 by Nathaniel Hawthorne when Midas touched some roses in the family garden. And out of sadness, they'd lost some of their fragrance. His daughter came to him and there was some kind of embrace between them. She was turned to gold too. People believe this river could be the river Pactolus. Definitely not pronounced like that because it was so rich in gold and electrum. This came about when Midas washed the gold magic off of himself. Now, after this, Midas shunned riches and he preferred to worship Pan and live in the country. We're going to revisit Midas later, as there is another story about him where he challenges Apollo to a music contest. And I'm sure you can already imagine how that might go. I really like the story because it's the fact that Dionysus is merciful and he allows someone to learn from their mistake rather than just like, nah, tough. 
Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does allow Midas to be like, actually, this isn't what I really wanted. I've since you've been talking, I found a fresco, I believe, of Bacchus and Silenus. And I've sent it to you now. We will um we'll include this as well. And it has Bacchus as kind of a younger man, Silenus as a as an older man in a red in, robe. So in all the pictures I've seen, I have noticed that he is an older man. Yeah. Silenus, I mean. I actually thought there was one by Rubens, which is the one I was trying to look for. But uh, it looks like I can't quite. I think I think the one from I think there is one by Rubens, but I could be incorrect. We'll try and find it before. Um, before oh, Van do. Dyke. I think it's by Van Dyke. That's the one I'm thinking of. We'll definitely put a couple of pictures of Dionysus and Silenus up on the Insta for people to see. Everyone who has heard this story is probably familiar with the expression about the Midas touch. Mm -hmm. So this is where this comes from. And the story that I knew is that he asked to for it to turn back or his gift to be rescinded after his daughter was turned to gold. It makes more sense. But then it looks like maybe that's more of a modern version. So it looks like he's actually lost more rather than oh, I'm just a bit hungry. Yeah, I mean, probably. eventually, obviously, you die, but maybe yeah. it's that instant loss of losing his daughter was just... And for modern aud- audiences, maybe, you know, back in the day, unfortunately, families and people didn't survive very long, whereas now we live longer and the loss of a child is incomparable to a lot of things. So maybe they updated the story for modern audiences. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. One belief was that Dionysus spent some time in India. Nonus wrote about his Indian war in his piece, The Dionysica. I've also read that there was a belief that it was one of the latest stories to be written and that he actually went with Heracles. You can see here a Greco-Roman mosaic of Dionysus and some Indian warriors that is in the National Roman Museum. It's quite colourful, isn't it? Yeah, you can tell it's him because of the leaves on his head yeah and it looks like he's wearing leopard print I think he has he's kind of dressed up for the occasion Uh, there's quite a descriptive quote I wanted to include from Seneca's Oedipus Seneca was a Roman tragedian so this was written later than the Theban plays that were written by Sophocles Destruction feeds, O Bacchus, that on soldiery of thine, uh, which means the Theban people, thy comrades to farthest India, who dare to ride on the eastern plains and plant thy banners on the world's first edge. The Arabs, blessed with their cinnamon groves, they saw, and fleeing horsemen on the back of the treacherous Parthians, to be feared for their flying shafts. They pierced to the shores of the Ruddy Sea, he means the Indian Ocean, where Phoebus meaning Helios the sun, discloses his rising beams, opens the gates of day, with near a torch darkens the naked Indian. 
there are roots of the story in Greek myths, but I definitely feel that it's something that the Romans latched onto more. Now, I'm wondering if it's because they had such an interest in empire. Most of the time, the Greeks were so busy fighting each other. So it makes sense that the later Greek writers would have been the ones more interested in a story like this, because then we have Greeks like, or actually Macedonians, like Alexander the Great. And that's a real shift from some of the earlier myths that deal with issues more at home. We've already touched on the fact in previous episodes that a lot of early myths were part of the great propaganda machine of Athens, even looking today at how they wanted to make Theseus look good after ditching poor Ariadne. So the Romans loved empire and they had, it's something that they could sort of resonate more to, the idea that Dionysus was going further and fighting, I think. I think it's also what we touched on just in the previous comments, you know, these stories evolve because the society evolves and what matters or the, you know, the health improvements of people living longer, the society where, and the economy is thriving or, or not, you know, different things matter to different people. So if they want to make something shocking or more emotive, they, they will change they'll change the content presumably Mm. it's something that as we're discovering more of it is really interesting yeah definitely and definitely the different sources and and also why a different source might say that like you know you've got the difference between the greek and the romans um with athena for example but yes obviously one is pure propaganda and then the other one is a bit more removed so they can be a bit more objective in their storytelling even looking at Greek and Greek to the early ones where it's all of the myths seem a lot more closer to home. And then now this is later, it's their world has expanded further than further than they knew before. So it's it's really interesting. Also, one point that I uh, mentioned, you've mentioned Ariadne twice now. I never realised she was Fedra's sister. Mm-hmm. She was. I knew Fedra was married to Theseus, but I never I never realised that he was into Ariadne first. It just goes to emphasise how much of a dick that guy is. <laughs> he is terrible. I can't wait to talk about him. Actually, some of his stories and, and stuff is, you know, is, is interesting. And I like the stories. I just can't get down with his, his toxic behaviour. <laughs> and you know, you know, if this happened now, he would have ghosted Ariadne and then rocked up however long later with Phaedra. You yeah. just know that would have happened. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe she'd put it all over socials. (laughs) I like to hope that Ariadne is a bit more classy than that. I don't know. I quite like living through the drama of someone's socials. (laughs) I would never do it myself, but watching it unfold. (laughs) I hope she'd be one of those that was like "Mm," sharing myself. Also, she did upgrade with with Dionysus. So she went from... A hero, a hero to a god, a demigod to an actual god, and she became a goddess herself. So, who's winning? <laughs> Who is winning, Theseus? <laughs> I wanted to put in a whole section here about Dionysus in art because I might have to say I think this is the most amount of art I have found on anybody. That's a big, I don't know, that's a big statement because we found quite a lot about some other people, but just typing in Dionysus or Bacchus and all of this stuff has come up. A lot of artists throughout time have been inspired by the story of Dionysus. 
The first one that I want to discuss, which we'll put on our Instas, is a statue, which is Hermes carrying an infant Dionysus. And he's got, you know, obviously he's missing one arm because it's an old statue, but in his other, he's very definitely carrying a very tiny Dionysus. On the Britannica website, there is a painting by Caravaggio, who was an Italian painter from the 16th century. And again, he's quite young. He tends to be quite young in a lot of the paintings. He's got his robe draped over one shoulder. And I presume that's a glass of wine. He's got a, fe- a feather in his hair and a glass of wine. And he's looking very, you know, relaxed there. Actually, Hermes is another one who seems to look be quite young in art as well. It's like they almost maybe because of what they're the gods of, Possibly. they retain their youth, youthfulness. Like Dionysus is, he's a god of kind wine, of though. yeah. He's a, he's a party boy. Yeah, but so, I mean, this one this one looks like he's way too young to be drinking. But in Europe, people can drink wine with dinner younger. True. Can they not? Yeah. I guess I didn't think of it like that. Um, it's not like it... he's there with a bottle of apple sours. <laughs> I presume that it's a um, it's a constantly refillable <laughs> glass, self refilling glass. That could be. Peter Paul Rubens may have also been in a frenzy. Let's <laughs> see what I did there, where he's got so many paintings of Bacchus. And he's actually someone who's painted Bacchus as quite older and larger, surrounded, tends to be surrounded by people. In the first picture we've got, he's got this woman filling up his glass draped. I'm not quite sure why her boob is out, but one of her boobs out, presumably because she's drunk. Although I do have to say, whenever I've been uh, inebriated and had one too many lemonades, my clothes tend to stay on. They do. They tend to stay on. I've never, I've never just found a breast out. <laughs> You're not maybe that careless. Maybe that's where I'm going wrong. Maybe. Um, that's uh, the difference between by being blessed by Dionysus and being cursed by Dionysus. Maybe. Where your breasts are at the end. Of the <laughs> where night. your breasts if they're, are. If they're safely away, maybe it's a curse. If they're free, then maybe, maybe, maybe that's where the blessing is. In the second picture, he looks most sinister in this one. He's holding some grapes and behind him, someone's taking a cheeky, cheeky glass. But lots of shadows on this one, which I quite liked. I actually think it's quite seductive, not in a kind of, you know, bedroom eyes kind of way, but almost luring you to... He wants to encourage you to have that, that one more go on, just have one more go on. Yeah, yeah, I guess I can see that. Again, with his one arm out, why do they like his shoulders bare? No. <laughs> it literally, like, that face is looking at me like, go on, you know you want to just have a single. You know you want a double. Oh, oh, oh you like, want to oh, go right, home. I'll no, have you a don't. double then. <laughs> oh, what? We just ordered more drinks. It's my <laughs> round now. Stay. Yeah. The, he looks, I'm not going to say attractive in that picture, although I do like an older man. But the other two, he looks slightly grotesque yeah he looks like um what's the word gluttonous doesn't he in the other two yeah. the reuben ones whereas this one he doesn't look like he doesn't look like he's taking everything to excess he just looks like he's someone who might encourage you to do that yeah and in the last picture by rubens we've also got is that a lion 
or a leopard. Yeah, it looks like. I think he's quite associated with those kind of wild animals. Possibly because he travelled, he would have... Collected almost. Yeah, he would have seen things that... And and in this one, he's got people holding him up. He's clearly inebriated enough that he needs support to be held up. In this research, I also found some more recent artwork. And one that I really, really, really liked was this one. It's an illustration and the colours. This is a picture by an artist called Fadini, drawn in 2014. And I'm seeing a Dor Delano in this picture. I don't know if if Lauren's getting those vibes, but I can yeah, totally imagine can that. Totally imagine with like the long hair, he's got the grape crown, he's got a pretty boy face with the with the light behind him. I'm definitely pop star drag queen vibes I'm getting. I was gonna say for our listeners who do not watch RuPaul's drag race, uh, well for one, why don't you? And two, Adore Delano is Charlotte's boy slash girl crush. Love who was love on them. an earlier season of of RuPaul's Drag Race. Love them. One of my favourite people. I also wanted to include this picture. This is from a comic book series called The Wicked and the Divine. It's by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. This ran from 2014 to 2019. And I'm a huge fan of it. And the basic premise is that every 90 years, a group of people with superhuman powers are merged with different deities. Not just Greek. It can be from all over Celtic, that's the first one that sprang to mind but a lot and actually when we touch on other either greek or otherwise deities that have characters in the comic i will bring them up there's also someone who is a who's merged with lucifer and who's very like androgynous and david bowie looking in in the comic but you definitely get the party boy vibes from him so this is dionysus this is the yeah this is someone who's been merged as that is Dionysus merged with a human. I quite like the the detail that they've added, like the um the tattoo on their head, which is more like a a vine crown. Yeah, that's quite. I like that. That's quite cool. They've gone to that level of of detail. Yeah, but then the fact he's wearing a little smiley face badge and a YOLO t shirt, it's <laughs> it's a really nice balance between the old classical detail of the tattoo on his head of the leaves with like modern casual party boy like he could be raving like that so we will obviously stick all of the pictures up on the insta and i'm really excited about the artwork that we found in this one because it's been really cool yeah it's been interesting it's been good one now if dionysus saw you at a bar and offered to buy you a drink what drink would you ask for Currently, I'm liking rum and coke, and I never ever thought I would say that because I did not like dark spirits um, when I was young. I was going to say when I was growing up, but that is not what I wanted to say. (laughs) (laughs) I was growing up. Um, Yeah, it's something that um, I was in a beach bar with my dad in Cornwall in the summer, and they'd run out of, of, I think they'd run out of gin and tonic or something, but they had rum and ginger beer, so we had that. And I really, really liked it. And then I've started drinking spiced rum and coke. So I would ask for that. What about you? Firstly, I would say spiced rum is good. White rum is shit. Um, I don't know, because I saw this article on BuzzFeed from an American bartender where they make judgments on people based on drinks they order. <laughs> and they judge people for ordering frozen drinks, which is a shame because I love a frozen pina colada. So 
if I was at some kind of cocktail bar, like the kind of cocktail bars that I like, I would go for something quite sweet and fruity and pick something unique to that bar. Yeah, I think it depends where you are as well, because if I'm going out with you, I'm probably going to dance. So I want something like a rum and coke, which will give me a boost of energy. Whereas, you know, if you're going somewhere and you're having a meal, you're not going to have a rum and coke or a frozen cocktail with a meal. No, I mean, this is a bar. He's not going to come up to you. at. Well, how do you know? Because that's not the question that I've asked you. (laughs) It's It's my question. So I can phrase it how I want to. Uh, normally normally I would say either gin and tonic or some kind of cocktail depending on the the bar okay question (laughs) but then again gin and tonic it's not really a dancey drink is it it's more of a summertime summertime outside in the sunshine actually maybe an Aperol spritz I can do an Aperol Mm. spritz anytime I am I am a basic bitch and I love an Aperol spritz So, and I had my first ever Aperol Spritz at Christmas. So not this one, just a few years ago. See, I wouldn't associate Aperol Spritz with Christmas. No, my aunt had tried one a while ago and then had bought the stuff. And then we'd gone there for Christmas or like it was a couple of days after Christmas. She was like, do you want an Aperol Spritz? I was like, oh, what's that? And then, yeah, my my love for Aperol Spritzes was born. So whereas when, you know, when we went to that food market in Hackney, I can imagine drinking Aperol spritzes when we were sitting on the benches there in the sunshine because it was quite summery. It is more of a summer drink for sure. But depending, I might still have one. I reckon Dionysus would like an Aperol spritz too. But do you think he's fussing? Do you think there's, do you think Dionysus has a drink where he goes, oh no, ever since I was 18 and I vomited all down the number 37 bus, like <laughs> or drink, drinking Lambrini? <laughs> oh, maybe maybe or those vodkas with those (laughs) unpronounceable um cheap vodkas do you remember mud shakes in (laughs) gay i never had those at gay i used to have the cocktail jugs and jelly shots oh the sours oh my god the copious amounts of apple sours i drank as a teenager (laughs) dear lord do you remember at gay when they had x factor on and they do anytime they played a certain song by like cheryl cole they do pictures for a fiver. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, cheap jelly shots. Yeah, oh my god, talking about JY, girls allow mega mix. <laughs> anyway, sorry for all of our listeners. While we relive our our late teenage years. Lastly, before we say goodbye, how do you deal with a hangover? Do you have anything that helps comfort you during hangover, or is there anything that makes you feel better? Or besides being sick? Um, <laughs> yes, actually, there is. I really, really like really, really, really cold coconut water. And that is a bit of an instant pick me up. I think it's, I've read it's supposed to be drinks with electrolytes in that make you feel better. Yeah. So sports, like sports drinks. Um, But yeah, coconut water has done it for me. I've done it a number of times where I've just felt a mess. I've been absolutely hanging and I've had some of that. And actually, actually I feel a bit better now. So yeah, my boyfriend will buy us drinks with electrolytes and if if we're going to go out and we think we might be drinking he'll he'll have it ready for the morning but to me I think it's food it's food actually the idea of food turns your stomach but when you actually have something to line your stomach it does help you feel better especially if it's something sweet someone told me that alcohol plays with your blood sugar so if you have something sweet it can I don't know how true it is it complete could be complete and utter rubbish but and maybe it's psychosomatic but ever since I heard that 
it it makes me feel better although I did hear I read somewhere I think maybe in women's health two days ago actually falling asleep straight away is really bad for you because your body kind of shuts down when you're asleep kind of relaxes and actually doesn't process the alcohol whereas if you stay up for a bit it helps you stave off the hangover a bit better a bit better I don't know how true that is and I don't know if I'm willing to try it <laughs> but, um... next time I get that drunk that I think I might have a hangover I will try I try and stay up for a bit and see how I feel but normally I just get drunk and not pass out but you well, know that's the thing it depends if you're if you're that inebriated you don't necessarily think logically enough to go well I'm going to stay up for an hour because this will help me feel better <laughs> No, just thinking back to some of the questionable choice, drunken choices. Should we, when we've had a next drink, shall I then re-ask the shag, marry, kill question? <laughs> I'm never going to shag Zeus. Never. No, that's, um, we, we haven't released that episode yet, but when you hear that question, you'll get what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, so the next the episode, not, so after this episode, we have a mini-sode coming out the week after which is the first of our star sign episodes and then the week after that 20th of January we have an episode that we've recorded with Ellen who's a friend of the podcast and that is a question that we ask each other so it's just because we've recorded that one before this one it feels weird but yeah no I'm never gonna that's never gonna happen um no one last thing I will say before we go is when I went out and got stupidly drunk because I didn't eat before a bottomless brunch not thinking is this, is this is this the bottomless brunch is this my one? Oh, i say my one it's your one but i i was yeah. there so i call yeah, it yeah, my yeah. one yeah I was this there. is the one where you were there i didn't really eat before the bottomless brunch went to the bottomless brunch had so much of the mimosas and they <laughs> yeah. had cranberry ones so it was a cranberry prosecco right. and then they put extra alcohol in that as well right can i just didn't specify before, before you finish this i want to specify for the listeners bottomless brunch includes the fact that there was food okay not much food <laughs> not enough food to soak up all that there alcohol. was food not enough to soak up all that alcohol there was food but not enough so i hadn't <laughs> eaten anything and we went to bottomless brunch probably about two o'clock i think i can't remember and no i don't think earlier. it was that late i can't was remember it? but we hadn't eaten i hadn't eaten before so no, i got there started drinking then had a ridiculous amount of the mimosas. Then we went to Dirty Martini and I drank more. Also, I did, so... um, I did drinking games as well. I did a yeah. drinking, I'm pretty sure I did a drinking game for you. Yeah, possibly. Um, I got so drunk by probably about eight o'clock. I was throwing up in the Dirty Martini toilets. Got Charlotte took me home. I threw up in my bag. She woke me up after I fell asleep to ask me exactly where I lived because she was trying to order pizza from the wrong pizza place. Hey, right. I right. I want to specify this. Lauren and I have been friends for a very, very long time, but we actually live on complete other sides of London. So, and while I I used to date someone who lived nearer Lauren, it still wasn't close enough. So I've gone to Lauren's, and I have no idea. I'm trying to order some pizza because I'm hungry, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know which pizza place to go with because I'm in some random part of London <laughs> yeah um so I was very bad I was up throwing up all night um but my, one of my cats to keep me company I threw up in the bath I was so rough and then we woke we went out the next day and my purse was on my front doorstep <laughs> yeah. where I'd left it 
and thankfully I used to live in a cul-de-sac so it's quite it was quite safe and oh, you know I bad things didn't that. happen so my purse was left safely there so I had to share that story um I, I'd forgotten about your purse and the door oh there. yeah I was just the top of like I remember you waking up like I'd I'd, I'd kind of because <laughs> we were sharing a bed so I'd get I'd wake up be like oh she's going to be sick again and then fall back to sleep <laughs> yeah that was terrible that was terrible I'd love to say I was young and stupid but I was like 29 yeah so <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even say that I was young and stupid oh god it was a special occasion so <laughs> it's true my cats one of my cats is sitting next to me who I didn't have at the time I feel like I should cover her ears I know mummy used to make bad choices and get drunk it's okay don't judge me for used it used to used to <laughs> well Thanks for hanging out with us today and welcome to 2022. Follow us on Instagram at Demythifying the Podcast for more Olympus-based content. And if you're liking what we're doing, please rate and subscribe. And from both of us, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I've been Charlotte, she's been Lauren, and together we've been Demythifying.